one gives a tinker's fucking curse about Miss Vaughn's satisfaction. My name is Matthew Kroll. And the tea is going out, but the interruption remains. My name is Shahir Dow. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Phantom Thread. The true story of Jaja Binks Taylor? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought it was the Phantom Thread for the longest time. Yeah, it's so not. did I. It's not. It's not? There's no the. There's no the. There's the f- I, I thought it was in that little the border thing on the title screen, but it's they not. They might not be a the, but there is someone else in the room with us, yes. which we're being very rude about. Not, not yet. So listen, uh, dear <laughs> listeners, we have a wonderful guest with us, cartoonist, fashion designer, and person we know with the most training in sewing. It is my distinct privilege to introduce the wonderful, the intelligent, the beautiful Miss Jamie Walsh. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm. There's a microphone in front of me. It's very exciting. That, I know. Yes. It's like a, it's People suddenly... don't usually trust me with these. Well, <laughs> welcome. Well, you have a telephone, right? Like you have a cell phone, so yeah. that's like a microphone. The government yeah, is listening. Yeah. The government is listening constantly. Great. So great. you've been really just doing this. This yeah, is yeah. If you have hat. anything you want to say well, to them, now guys, is the time. I'm sorry about the taxes. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> that might not have been the thing you want to say. <laughs> nah, they already heard it. Um, so every everybody, I am very excited to discuss this film with the both of you. Oh, me too. However, uh, we have a we have a lot of things we want to get through. We want to we want to do both. We want to talk about some other things and then get right into the Phantom Thread. Uh, first and foremost, uh, dear listeners, if this is your first time, hello. We review movies weekly, and you should keep listening to us. Also, if you want to tell us what you think about what we're doing or just films you enjoy or dislike in general, you can get in touch with us at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter page, OnlyMoviePod. Not a page. I'm an adult. Uh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> You've used the interwebs. Hello, fellow young people. Um, and also, you can check us out on our Facebook page, or if you are a super fan, you can go to the iTunes machine and rate us with one to five stars. I would say if you're a fan, you should go to the iTunes page. If you're a super fan, you go to the Facebook page. Sure. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, By the way, I have recently de- decommissioned myself from Facebook for the last couple of weeks, so I'm not as active on the Facebook page as I once was. Yep, I'm still there. So if you want to interact, you want to talk about Marvel stuff, you come to me. Yeah, so the- I'll answer yeah. Wow, come on. <laughs> so there might have been a distinct change. And I believe there was a message on Facebook this week. Could you could you enlighten us on what that of was? Of course, of course. We had Tom via Facebook. Thank you so much for writing in. He wrote in about our Star Wars review, of course, because and listen, we I'm can psyched. It, we can nibble it this go. Uh, Jamie, you you like you like talking about Star Wars. I do like talking about Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, sorry, I can talk about Star Wars for a long time. And this will be the <laughs> last time Jamie agrees with me on this entire podcast. <laughs> That's maybe true. <laughs> so Tom wrote us about uh, our discussion about why Star Wars is so popular as opposed to other films. And I really agreed and liked what he said because he was agreeing and liking what we said. It's amazing how that works in a symbiotic relationship. He says, uh, as Matt said, the expanded universe uh, with complex mythologies beg to be picked apart. That makes us talk about them more and makes us uh, hungry to gather more information for the next installment. But... He also agreed with Shahir, saying, uh, Shahir, your concerns that so many new movies, um, almost all the big budget successes that are existing IPs, sequels, prequels, and remakes, uh, the exact same thing is happening in gaming, too, and it doesn't it make me worry. I'm sorry. He says it does make him worry about the future of the media. Uh, and I, I, I agree with both of your things you agreed with us. It's all a little self-serving, but it was a nice email to sort of get... Um, 
you know, the, uh, uh, a different flavor of our takes. I liked him a lot. I think the only thing I would I would uh, maybe have some mild contention with is the is the phrase complex mythologies, and I think that's that is kind of my issue with Star Wars is that I don't think that the mythologies are that complex. We're about three well, and a half not, minutes into this thing, not, and you're already <laughs> sucking the fun out of it. Maybe not complex, but certainly rich. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a, a lot. lot going- people have put so much energy into the backstories of Star Wars and 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 how how far in you can get into the history of that. Right. I'd say that counts as mythology. I, I, I think I agree with you. I guess my point is in the movies themselves, in the actual movies themselves. I'm only counting like, the movies. I'm not yeah. counting the extended universe of books that they destroyed. Right. I guess I just don't, I don't, I, maybe it's me. It might just be me. I just don't find the, the, the Star Wars story entirely compelling. Well, they but, didn't say compelling. You just said complex. Okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> if that's the way you want to run with it. Okay. What about, what's our next? We got uh, an email from Josh. Uh, who I have met once or twice, um, by the way. So, hey, Josh, nice to hear from you. Thanks for listening in. Uh, he's been a bit uh, behind on this year's uh, Movies and Movies podcast due to work travel. He's a very busy cinematographer, uh, but he's been listening to us uh, and catching up for the last couple of days. Um, and he wanted to tell us his movie going experience. If you remember back on our, uh, I believe it was our Shape of Water episode, you it was Matt. A, it was it was about going to see Shape of Water. I think it was actually might have been the Star Wars episode. I don't remember. It was like the yeah. episode before we did Shape of Water. Yeah, yeah. And you had that incredible experience where someone refused to give up a seat and right. had the movie had to be stopped. Um, Josh wanted to fill us in on the first time he saw No Country for Old Men uh, with a woman he was dating at the time, and they were at the Union Square Theater, last row packed. It was great, and he loved it. The guy sitting next to my girlfriend did not, and during the whole movie he was fidgeting, sighing, groaning loud enough just to irritate her but i had no idea he was doing it till the end when he stood up and he said fucking cohen's which i believe we got an email about last week as yeah. well the fucking cohen yep. I, I didn't realize there was such a backlash against the cohen brothers yeah. but um he's been trying as much as he can to see the movie while it was playing at the mc 42nd street this time the theater was mostly empty everything was fine until about halfway through the movie when three or four teenage bo- th- boys theater hopped into the theater uh and within minutes the biggest of the bunch was soundly asleep snoring wow. softly Um, uh, And it was so hard He was snoring so loudly It was hard to hear the dialogue Someone behind us started screaming Wake up, wake the fuck up Until the kid woke up Or was woken up by his friends Uh, The general audience irritation Got pretty anxious It seemed like the kid down in front Were about to brawl with the dude behind us Until the AMC staff escorted them out I gotta say, maybe it's that's New York. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't think anyone's particularly. I mean, to be honest, I, I even when I was home in New Hampshire, there was crazy rude, not to that level, but like ruder people than I remember in uh, in the movie theater. And honestly, I think it's become I, I think it's due to the fact that we have a lot of us based on large TVs or even whatever HD, even just like cinema quality experiences at home. So yeah. psychologically we feel like the act of watching a movie, even outside of where we're actually watching it, people start feeling more either, uh, you know, privileged or, or, or comfortable in that space. And I think it bleeds through. I think that's too psychologically generous. I think people are just getting ruder in public. Well, the other thing is, is that, is that we are now, we, we basically have a personal computer on us at all times yes. and access to communicate with anyone we want to, at all times. And and so the thing that I notice is people are really willing to just open up their phones oh, in the middle sure, of a movie, sure, sure. start texting. Like the second the movie gets a little boring Who for them. That's okay. You know, it's interesting. I, I was I was reading 
a thing with Christopher Nolan where he was like, he just banned cell phones from his sets. He's like, look, I, if you're coming to work on my set, you're coming to work on my set. And, and there's no point at which we, you and I are going to have a conversation. And if you pull out your phone and t- start texting in the middle of our conversation, you're clearly not interested in this conversation. Yeah. So, and I'm going to like, I kind of agree with I that. I agree with that 100%. But, but I am from an older generation that came from a point where these phones, where, where this kind of method of communication didn't exist and now it does. The there, diff- are pe- there are younger people that grew up with this is the norm. I'm going to pull the old guy card and just sort of go with the fact that, look, there's lots of jobs you can do with cell phones around. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- y- there's a lot of downtime places and I think that's, you know, appropriate. But like, I think leave the cell phone in your trailer or, or whatever the fact. But if you are on set acting or working or, or d- doing whatever it is you do on a set, your cell phone should be away. I mean, this is a... But that's, a, that is an impossible thing. Like, you and I have both been on set. It is impossible to, like, tell your grip and the entire grip crew to, like, put their cell phones away during takes when they have, like, four hours of downtime. And No, no, and, <laughs> and downtime, I, I feel like, is fine, but when everyone's together and moving, like, there's no time to take the selfie, there's no time to do the whatever. And I just, I that's something that I can't stand either. Yeah, but, as um, someone who works in an office and not on a film set of any kind, uh, <laughs> it, 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 the same rules can apply. Put your phone away at your desk and, like, see that you will be eight times more productive I guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. But, it, you know, you again, don't need to check Instagram. We digress. We might be the I old do, people in the room. But you don't need to. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to also, so thank you, Josh, for that email. Phil, saying, if Thanks, you have buddy. other emails about your theater going experiences in New York, as crazy as they might be, please write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. We forgot an important thing from Josh that he also said, Shahir, your Automatica video is sick. Great I work. was actually, I was just going to skip over But that. I didn't want to because <laughs> it's a sick video, bruh. Well, thank you very much. I say sick all the time. Sick, bruh. Um, if you don't want to write us in an email, you could tweet us as the following people did. Jacob, who we might be hearing more from later, uh, wanted to tell Matt, Harry Potter is infinitely better better than Star Wars, and I will fly to New York City and physically fight you to defend its honor. Hashtag don't bad talk Harry Potter. I don't think I bad talked <laughs> Harry Potter. I said it was a cultural black point in my, like a black hole. A that black I hole did, in your, yeah, that yeah, I just don't. A blind I spot. A blind spot yeah. that I didn't know and it doesn't grab me. Mm-hmm. And look, if you want to, if you want to take any, whatever gadgets or doodads or magical doohickeys that Harry Potter has in their universe and put it up against a fucking infinity gauntlet, bring it on, Jacob. Well, I think he was saying Star Wars, not the Avengers. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah I can't, to, I don't know if I can fight back against that. I don't yeah. want to use a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. I, so yeah, you know why I got confused? He used the word infinitely, but it's right. capitalized. So I instantly thought infinity war. It, that goes to show how easily your brain brain switches back to the Avengers. Yeah. The MCU, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. I also got uh, personal feedback from someone this week who told us, we to- uh, for, who told me in person that we talked too much about the, the MCU. So, uh, Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> the person that you hear talk to who shall remain <laughs> nameless at duh. Jamesa says also fan- hashtag phantom thread was everything it needed to be. Daniel Day-Lewis was just beyond everything that was needed. PTA Anderson did that. Uh, I think she was just responding to a tweet that, uh, that I had written about uh, my feelings about uh, Phantom Third, which we'll get to him in of a course, minute. Of course, of course. But I wanted to get to her next tweet to us, which was, uh, which I think will be an interesting point to, we can talk about. Sure. Uh, so... Three billboards, just a nomination, huh? Huh. So what had happened? Huh. Uh, You're was, talking Golden Globes. We are talking the Golden Globes, and I think our th- point was that we felt the go- uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri would be a film that would get nominated for a ton of stuff and not win anything. Unfortunately, well, not unfo- well, maybe unfortunately. I don't know. Uh, it turned out that that was not the case. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri won Best Drama. Uh, 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 Frances McDormand won Best Actress, and Sam Rockwell won Best Supporting Actor. So 
and right now, uh, Three Billboards is kind of the, well, I don't know if it's the Oscar frontrunner. Who knows what the metric is to measure that? Who knows? But it's gathering a lot of steam. And there's a lot, and again, when that happens, a lot of think pieces come out and people are comparing, comparing it to maybe um, a film that you I know you didn't like that much, which was La La Land. You know, basically the Oscar movie that may not necessarily be What's the Oscar movie. What's that term? What's that term? Do you think Three Billboards is Oscar bait? I don't. I no, really don't. No. I don't think that's the term. That I know. You, I, just I, want, I just wanted you to say it. Right, right. There you go. Um, I think the phrase, I think what they're, this is, this is an interesting thing because because when we saw Three Billboards, Three Billboards was not an, I mean, it was like, oh, this will be up for awards sure, 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 at sure, some sure. point, which is why we said what we said. But I think now, now after the Golden Globes, it's 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 clearly a front runner. And I think that can, for, for, for certain films, that can actually diminish uh, its impact because now people will go into it thinking of it as an awards winner. And I, and I think that movie Ooh. loses a lot of power when you put that expectation on it. Sure. No, I agree uh, with that. Um, and it's, and it's the hype train, film. baby. It's just, it's hype. It's, it's just, it's a different kind of hype, but <laughs> hype ruins shit. No. Well, I think in this case, what it is is three billboards. I think if we go back to our review and, and please go check out that review. Cause I think uh, there are some interesting points. Well, it's a in good there. episode. Is that, is that we, Jamie, have you seen three billboards by the I have not. Okay. I have a screener at home, and I, I just yeah. Can't well, check it. Check it out. I think. I think the point that we made there is that it does some things really well, and it does a lot of things really terribly. And and the problem is, is when you go into that film thinking it's an award winner, and that it, you know, is is a, a film of certain merit, then then those terrible things are going to be amplified. Yeah. And and made all the more worse because because there are a lot of I think you know, the word we used uh, repeatedly was tone deaf yeah. uh, elements yep, yep, in yep, there yep, yep. Um, so, so um, but on the other side Lady Bird did win Best Comedy and that's a film that I think gets gets elevated by the hype in a weird way who knows how these things work but but I do think that that like the 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 ferns that get placed upon a movie uh, by winning awards changes our perception of the movie. And there's something there's something to be said about that. Agreed. Lady Bird earns something, and I think three billboards diminishes something. The only thing I wanted to mention there is uh, best foreign film went to a film called In the Fade by Fatah Ken, who's a filmmaker I've seen a couple of films of. I've never really been a huge like a huge fan. I've liked uh, his films, Even sure. and Hit On, um, but that's made me want to go see that. So um, Diane Kruger, who we've seen in, I believe Inglorious Bastards was the last thing we saw, oh. apparently gives like a phenomenal performance in, uh, in that film. Nice. So uh, that'll be worth checking out. But a film that was notably absent in the Golden Globes was the Phantom Thread. That is true. The, the Phantom Thread. Just Phantom Thread. And did I just say Phantom Fred? Phantom Fred. <laughs> Phantom Fred was not at the Golden Globes, and Phantom I am Fred outraged. Knock your socks off comedy of yeah. 2018. Phantom Fred. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, so, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. Hey. Hi. Hey. Uh, we, oh, wait, well, I'm just going to step out of the room while you guys do this. Sure. Yeah, okay. uh, no, I, uh, I really wanted to have you on the show because you work in fashion. I She's do. in fashion. It sounds glamorous. It's not. Well, I think this movie, and the, the point <laughs> so of this movie obviously isn't that to put a glamorous thing in fashion. I think it shows a lot of the, even though it's 1950s, it shows a lot of the non-glamorous side along with the glamorous side of fashion. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to totally disagree with that. Okay. I mean, so. Off the bat. Something, some, okay, if you want an unglamorous and kind of realistic look at like something about the fashion industry, sure. uh, I don't know if uh, you guys don't cover TV series, <laughs> but um, if anybody has seen The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yes, yes. Uh, I have. I've been watching it. So we, good. We have too. Yeah. Um, 
it has a there's a great scene where um uh Joel the uh the husband character uh goes to see his father at his father's business and he walks into oh, this yes, yeah. enormous In the, the back, gar- garment yeah. factory and yeah. it travels it tra- trails I'm sorry I'm missing up my words uh it trails all the way like through this entire enormous room where there's huge tables and all kinds of people cutting things and mm. doing all this stuff and there's fabric and garbage everywhere and it's just a ton of like ridiculous things yeah. happening those rooms exist. Right. I've, I've, I've been sent as an intern to many of them and yeah. they're pretty, they're, they're pretty intense and they are full of like chemical smell from dyes. And there's a lot of construction stuff that is not glamorous, particularly in modern day construction. But this movie was so I get what you're glamorous. saying. It's it, not the construction was just like, Oh, it was a, it was, it was like craft porn. And it you, was beautiful. So, Jamie, t- <laughs> so tell us, I mean, you know, just fill us in a little bit. Like, what is, not not just what you do, but in terms of like, you know, like I have a passionate love of cinema. That's that's kind of my thing. Can you tell us your relationship to fashion? Like sure. in terms of clothing, in terms of garmentry, in terms of making clothes? Sure. Um, well, so I, I started as a costume designer in uh, musical theater. Uh, my, I majored in that. And then. Uh, I did, you know, summer stock and smaller things. Um, and, and, you know, was also like a waitress and, uh, <laughs> eventually decided I wanted to have more of a backboned out career where I could have a health insurance. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I went to school, uh, at Parsons for fashion design. Um, and that's how I ended up in New York. Um, I, fashion is cool because it's, it's, you know, there's an, a constant debate over whether or not it's art. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe it yeah. is, but it's more just the ability to physically express creativity and personality every day. Right. You wear your identity on your body and fashion is that. Right. Clothing is different. The clothing industry is different than fashion. Right. Uh, and we all work in the clothing industry, but fashion is the art form. Uh, and this movie in particular about a couture house is about fashion. This right. is someone building art and structure and and creating presence for the women that he designs for. Right. It's not it's not about the clothes. It's about the way the clothes represent the internal. Like there's even a moment in this film where he's asking her what she she's asking. I think it's the the princess or something like that. Like what what she likes. And it's not it's not about like the clothes. She likes it's what it's what her personality it's the feeling of yeah. the clothing. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah, exactly. What she wants to put out when she yeah. when she wears her wedding dress. Yeah. I have to say, like, for me, and <laughs> I'm saying this as I'm sitting here in, like, a pair of Adidas uh, sweats and, like, the, the grungiest clothes I have all day. It's great. It's I, like I, a sweatshirt I, with short sleeves. I may as well be wearing pajamas at this point. But sure. I'm on board with it. <laughs> but your son <laughs> outdresses <laughs> you. Every day. Oh, my God. He's and, a natty kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and the <laughs> other thing is I, I have a real passion for men's fashion. I, I love then men's. This was the movie for you. Well, the just men's seeing. wear was yeah, stunning. See, Da- like seeing Daniel Day, you know, and the thing is, I remember Cary Grant used to have this quote about you can tell a, uh, a fashionable man or a person who really takes care in their appearance by their socks. And he would he would always, you know, if you ever look at any photo of Cary Grant, his socks were on point. And there was this, there's a scene at the opening of this movie where you see Daniel Day Lewis's character putting on those socks, yeah, putting on these fuchsia socks out of the car. Yeah, these beautiful red socks that that kind of I don't know. You just you know, there's even a moment where he takes his shoes off and he's got these red socks, and it's this like you know, there's something about that and I I I love wearing suits I love getting suits like I, I I buy tailored suits you know wherever I can um, and I love there's something there's something it is that feeling of like this isn't it isn't about the clothes it's about the way I wear it and the way mm-hmm. it makes me feel when I wear it like you know I, I, I to me uh, uh, a man in a suit shouldn't just feel like they're being formal a man in a suit should 
feel like they're wearing a, a coat of armor and it should be and it should like carry them the whole day well it's a it's a psychological confidence thing it's it's that yeah. i mean it's it's the realer version of being a little tipsy well, it, but, it, like it's it's <laughs> do you know what i mean like you all think it's you're braver when you're drunk it's you're the more it's, expensive version it's the more ex- well depending on what you're drinking <laughs> well uh, but, but here's the thing like so for wearing. example donald trump has very expensive suits he but they I, don't I mean, fit him no they, and yeah, they look t- uh, he doesn't wear them very well and and br- I, i've been going down this rabbit hole of uh, watching Barack Obama documentaries recently. And the oh, first thing... Why? Man, why? That uh, man can wear a suit. Uh, just, uh, we, in, in research for something else I, I'm working no, on. No, but I understand. I, mean, I, I was just thinking, oh, for looking back at a more hopeful time. Huh? Yeah, and also uh, David Letterman's... Um, I, yeah, I need to watch that. Yeah, it's great. And the thing is, is Barack Obama can wear the worst suit... Po- like, he can wear an off-the-rack suit, and he carries it way more confidently. He he, he walks... You know, it is... It's fit. It's tailoring. Tailoring is so important. I, but the, But it's more than that. And there's, also, there's something about the way he he seems to carry himself. Yeah, in a well, you're suit describing that, the the walk of a man versus the shamble of whatever <laughs> Donald Trump is. Um, yeah. So, I, and I'm, uh, I, you know, like I I love fashion in film in that respect. I, again, I'm more I lean more towards men's fashion because I think that's I understand it more. Whereas women's fashion, I can get lost in. Like I don't understand women's fashion a lot of the time. Well, it's there's so much. It's hard. Yeah. It's um, it's a way bigger palette. Yeah. You know, it's a way bigger canvas. There's uh, there's uh, a a classic sort of road through men's fashion. And then there's also just great guidelines. And Mm. I like shopping for men much better than shopping for women because score. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you go into a men's store, you're like, everything's laid out. So nice. Yeah. God, I know where everything is and it's all presented. And like, (laughs) they just, it has a a much more relaxed feeling. And with women's stores, it's just designed differently. And I find it totally overwhelming. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I, so, so I think, you know, like the, the, the notion of going, to a film for about fashion that takes fashion seriously, I think was something that was I was kind of I haven't seen in a while. Here's well. the interesting thing: I don't think the I mean the, I, we we said that and maybe it was a, a miss a misspeak, but the film handles fashion incredibly well. I don't think the film is about fashion; it just has fashion as a very accurate and good backdrop. I agree. Yeah, yeah I would agree with yeah. that. Yeah, but but and and fa- fashion is the. The background to which everything happens. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and, he could have been a race car driver, yeah, and you could tell the same story. About, like everything, you could say that about food movies. You can say that about. It depends so on many what. Things. It depends. It depends. It it depends. But this but, is a very this is a very intricately done, well presented background for a film about two to two and a half people. Two and a half people. There's okay. one character that I think has a lot a lot of well, agency. We'll talk about. I don't know if you guys dug into sort of the the writing of the film. Um, but Paul Thomas Anderson uh, said that he came up with the idea not because of fashion, but because he got sick and yeah. his wife was ah. taking care of him. And he was like, mm, wouldn't this be an interesting power dynamic in a relationship? Yeah, and I then think- he picked up a book about Balenciaga, Cristobal yeah. Balenciaga in uh, an airport yeah. and read that and was like, oh, here is the flesh and organs to put is on that the a real Is that a real fashion story. designer? Yeah. Yeah. Balenciaga, that's, okay. Balenciaga is a uh, huge couture designer in the 20s through 50s gotcha. uh, who lived in mostly Paris. And I think Daniel Day-Lewis kind of based a lot of either his look and his and his mannerisms uh, oh, on Balenciaga. And he oh, actually I made a, a Balenciaga. Notes. He yeah, made he a Balenciaga. He had to make a, sh- a sheath dress for <laughs> yeah. his wife, which is no easy feat. Yeah. Oh, I, that, that, I would, you could explain that to us. Like, what is what is the challenge there? Like either just in making a sheath dress or in making a Balenciaga sheath dress. Well, Bal- yeah, I think I, I've, I have never made a Balenciaga dress. What? So I certainly I'll, get out. I'll go. I'll go. Yeah. Um, There's no guarantee that this sheath, was a good well, dress. So a sheath dress is uh, something that like fits perfectly to a body. Right. And if you're gonna make it 
probably like from scratch, you're going to have it perfectly tailored to a person. And oftentimes they don't have waist seams and it's just, uh, it's, it's an, it's, it's, it's a very, very distinct and an exact fit you have to have to have that sit on a body correctly. Is that something that like a person who's never picked up a thread needle it would be a disaster. Right. I mean, it takes I, practice. I <laughs> feel like our boy uh, throws himself into everything pretty hard. So well, yeah, Daniel, De- and actually he is apparently kind of a clothes horse. Mark Bridges was the costume designer. And when he had to start getting ready for this role, Daniel Day-Lewis was like, oh my God, I'm so ready. Uh, let's go shopping. And they just went mm. through a ton of men's shops and already had like ideas of where to go and what to pick out. And yeah, DDL. Knows his stuff. He's already, yeah. he's already pretty much good on the movie. <laughs> so, Matt, tell us what the Phantom Thread is about. Well, IMDb tells us the following. Set in 1950s London, Reynolds Woodcock, a renowned dressmaker whose fastidious life is disrupted by a young, strong-willed woman, Alma, who becomes his muse and lover. Wow. Now, it. first of all, this is the most poetic IMDb one sentence description of a film I've heard in a very long time, particularly the word fastidious, which I just love. Uh, <laughs> I just think that's one of my favorite words ever. Very attentive and concerned about the accuracy and detail of something <laughs> is fastidious. And uh, I dig the hell out of it. I, I read that and I was like, ooh, I'm like, okay. So you're now, on board with the synopsis. I'm on board. <laughs> well, I'm on board with that. I don't know. I mean, that doesn't tell you much about the film that sets up. The first 20 minutes, okay. which is fine, which is fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, do we want to uh, talk about sort of our, our first our first impressions? Well, I want to. OK, before we do that, I kind of want to just our first first impression. Our first, first I, I just want to I want to sit it up from the outset. Paul Thomas Anderson, to me, is kind of a god among filmmakers. So I'm going to I'm going to be I, I I'm going to try and divorce myself from my fanboyishness uh, from him. But like uh, when a Paul Thomas Anderson film comes out, I must go see it. I must pay to see it. I must see it in the best possible screening. Um, my favorite experience since moving to New York was uh, they had a uh, screening of There Will Be Blood in, uh, in a Harlem theater with a live orchestration. Oh, that's cool. Johnny Greenwood was there. And 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 this was my favorite moment was that I, as I was walking in, uh, uh, you know, people filling out the theater, I looked to the back row and there was a gentleman standing there and I kind of looked at him and then just instinctively out of like, you know, some sort of thing in my brain ticked off and I just pointed at him and he, and he looked at me and he nodded and it was Paul Thomas Anderson and nobody, oh. nobody recognized them. <laughs> I've, I've, you know, I'm obsessed with this guy cause I think he's an incredible filmmaker. I sat down, I sat down with Nick Parker actually, who was with me and, uh, <laughs> and of the I, show Nick Parker bit on the Warcraft review. If you want to jump back to that. Yeah. And then, and I, and I, and I was sitting there with Nick Parker and I was like, Paul Thomas Anderson is back there. Nobody knows that he's back there. I must go and talk to him. And I, and I was like, I don't, I think this is going to go horribly, but I have to go say something to him because, you know, like sure. he's one of the reasons I want to be a filmmaker. Um, I, it, it, and you know, by all accounts, it was a very short conversation. He was there by himself. Did he you said, give him your headshot? He was like, can I have some of your popcorn? Yeah, no, I didn't have popcorn at the time. <laughs> was he like, was he like, wait, the only podcast about movies? <laughs> I should have mentioned it, shouldn't I? I should have mentioned it at the time. Yeah. Uh, but he was very nice. He's very, very lovely. Um, again, the, the only P.T. Anderson film I haven't seen is he made a documentary recently called Janun uh, about uh, Johnny Greenwood going to India to record uh, a new album. Oh, uh, oh I, I saw something about that. Yeah, it's available on iTunes right now. You can buy it. It's, on, it's like less than an hour. Um, that's the only thing of his I haven't seen and everything else of his I've seen probably at least four times. Yeah. Um, uh, 
Jamie, what about you? Relationship with uh, said director? Uh, very little. Yeah. Uh, I saw There Will Be Blood also, but I was in college mm-hmm. and I pr- probably wasn't paying attention. Uh, I remember uh, enjoying enjoying the tone of the movie very much, and I remember performances from it very distinctly. And yeah, being of course. Sort of A central performance, yeah. yeah. But I think I wasn't, I don't think I was in tuned enough when I saw it. I was, you know, I was probably like in a dorm with 20 people in our pajamas. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's so, I, I think I'd like to see it again. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, that movie, The Master, are two films where I had to watch them two or three times before I fell in love with it. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, like, the first time I watched it, I was like, hmm? So, I have a weird relationship, I feel like, with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. You guys only text on Fridays? We only, look. It, <laughs> Were you going to tell me about We've this? kind of <laughs> fallen off a little bit, and we've right. kind of, you know, we hit some rocks. Uh, no, so whenever I hear that a film of his is coming out, I'm like, I'm like pumped. I'm psyched. And then I, I, in retrospect, I was looking back when I was like, oh, I'm going to talk about all the movies of his I like. So like on the podcast, like, woo. And I went through and I was like, actually, <laughs> I, I'm, ne- I'm not like a huge fan of a ton of his movies. Right. And not in a bad way. It, this is the thing. I, he's never made a film where I've been like, ugh. Right. But like, I like to be like grabbed on or moved, but like, so I just sort of went down the list. I'm like, I didn't see Inherent Vice, though I wanted to. Mm-hmm. The Master is probably my favorite film of his. Uh, that's I, an odd one. I me. really liked The Master. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be blood. Listen, this is the weirdest thing. I saw it once. I can remember some specific scenes, uh, but I, I, it didn't like pull me at all for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, Punch Drunk Love, good movie. Mm-hmm. I, again, good. Magnolia. I never saw Magnolia. Oh, wow. What is where the hell was I? Uh, cigarettes and coffee. I really liked back in the day. Yeah. So like, but so that's not like in my, in my internal Boogie Nights? in what? Have you seen Boogie Nights? Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. That's yeah. That's yeah. good too. So like, it's just like, it's, it's almost like a, and, and I, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying this in terms of quality because the person I'm going to use, I think is a far worse director that I'm going to, than Paul Thomas Anderson. Is it Paul W.S. Anderson? No, no, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, no, I was going to say JJ Abrams to me. Uh, okay, but not, and again, I can see the structure and the and the skill of directing. Mm-hmm. Anderson's got him beat a hundred percent. But my engagement with said films, it seems to be on the same level as the two. Does that make sense? I think Anderson does better work, but for whatever reason, whether it be subject matter or what we're dealing with, I'm kind of even keel on that. I, I think is it's a paraphrase what you're saying. You you recognize him as an important filmmaker, yes. a filmmaker of note, yes. but not someone you particularly- Gravitate towards. Yeah, gravitate towards. The style or whatever, but it's funny I because- wonder, uh, what? What's up? I, I wonder if it is story, I, because I found- Maybe. Uh, Mark Bridges has done costumes for most of his big movies uh-huh. and yeah. he uh, in, in researching this found a, a point that he made that he really likes working with Anderson because um, so many of his movies are in periods of transition right. which yeah. is kind of a strange yeah. human place to be so I don't know if maybe the like non-distinctness of some of those Possibly. situations are, um, are the problem it's, it's very strange and I, I, I always get a little confuzzled with myself when I can mm. see pure skill and be like on a, on a skill or craft based level I'm like holy shit but it doesn't grab me Hmm. uh which is what we're going to be talking about in this film yeah so i mean again just from that point of view magnolia is a film i saw at film school when i was at film school came out when i was at film school and that blew my like little 20 year old mind away sure um punch drunk love is a movie that would be on my top five movies of all time yeah uh i just uh i can watch that any day of the week there will be blood is a movie that i've just fallen in love with you know and i and i I will watch that movie at least twice a year nice um and it's your terminator too. It, it might be my Terminator <laughs> too. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and what I, I guess what I love about him is that he, to me, he's an artist that's continually 
evolving in a way that keeps him relevant um, in sort of a, in sort of a, the way I would describe him is he is to cinema to me like someone along the lines, not necessarily in terms of pop relevance like Madonna or U2 or Tom uh, no, uh, or Michael Jackson. I was going to say Tom Cruise as well. But but one of those artists that that seems to be changing and reshaping who they are, which means that they continue to remain important because sure. because it's about oh what are they doing next and i feel like you're right tom cruise has been tom cruise throughout the other ones have done exactly what you're describing well i think the, for tom cruise to be i i have a, I, have, I, I do love tom cruise and i think for tom cruise to stay relevant he has to keep switching it up and he does that magnolia is a really good point i, which, don't, I don't think tom i don't cruise think tom cruise up, switches it up just we are not sick of tom cruise that's the thing <laughs> everyone tom else cruise, you like, can so. see you can see like points in their career that they've literally like switched Madonna's and even Michael Jackson sort of switched around a bunch. Tom Cruise has Spark, been playing. Sparkly, he plays 100%. different roles. His films are different, but it's still Tom Cruise in those roles. Yeah. I will give you three films that just say to me, Tom Cruise is a person who is evolving as an artist. They are Interview with the Empire, Born on the Fourth of July and Magnolia. And those are really different films, really interesting performances from that actor. Have Eyes Wide Shut as well. Have you ever seen it? Uh, I hate to go off on this tangent, but have you ever seen a Tom Cruise movie where you just get lost and don't realize it's Tom Cruise like not like not like uh, uh not like oh. like um uh, um Wow. Oh, the mummy, obviously. <laughs> yeah, the, the mummy, mummy obviously. <laughs> no, no, no I, th- I think like, in recent years. But like years, Daniel Day Lewis, Daniel Day Lewis in this film, I didn't see him. Right. I saw, I saw Woodcock. I've never watched a Tom Cruise movie and forgot it was Tom Cruise. Does that I, make I, sense? I think it's a different kind of acting. Is what we're talking about. I'm talking about his pop culture relevancy. Yeah. I, so, but I would say that's the thing. Him being Tom Cruise is what keeps him consistent throughout all these roles. It's also the movies, though. You would never s- switch Daniel Day Lewis and Tom Cruise into each other's movies. Right. Right. Anyway, sorry. We're, we're getting, we're getting, getting sidetracked. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, but that's... Uh, and, you, and like, I, you respect that about Anderson. That I respect that about Anderson. And I think uh, one of the things that that's uh, unique about Paul Thomas Anderson is he started out really young. He like he was like 26 or 27 when he made Magnolia. Yeah. He was 24 when he made Boogie Nights or something along those lines. He's, he's, he's a really young filmmaker. And he himself kind of thinks that Magnolia is the best film he's ever made. So which means in... In his mind, and maybe in the mind of other people, he peaked really early. Now, for most filmmakers, that would be kind of um, a disaster, <laughs> you know, because it means like, where do you go from here? But then, there will be blood. The master kind of shows a complete evolution in an opposite yeah, direction yeah. from those other films. And there's, there's a. I wish I had that confidence, or it's not confidence. It's um, to you've done a masterpiece back in the day, right? And then you, I would wish I would feel free to then be like, I made my masterpiece. I can do whatever now, which seems to be a little yeah. bit of that mind. I'm just, I'm getting into his head. Not yeah, knowing, I, I wanted to say that because I, that's, that's how I wanted us to get into the, into fan, the Phantom Thread. Into Phantom, Phantom Thread. The Phantom Fred is what I'm going to call Phantom it. The Phantom Fred. <laughs> is going to call it from now. Is because I feel like. Kevin James stars in The Phantom <laughs> Fred. Daniel Day-Lewis plays a ghost trapped in the attic of Kevin James. <laughs> <laughs> the Phantom Fred. Now on CBS, 10, 10 yep. p.m. Eastern. Yep. Um, but I think, I think the thing that's interesting, uh, with There Will Be Blood, The Master. Inherent Vice is a film I don't love, by the way. We'll just, we'll kind of gloss over sure. that in a little bit. Glossy. Um, um, but, but it feels like he's now making films because he wants to. Mm-hmm. It's not like, I don't, you he's know, like. He's proven himself and now he can just make the stuff just, he wants he to just, make. He just, it feels like he, there, there's an effortlessness and an ease to which he's making films, but they are unusual films. They are not, sure. they're not like. I don't feel like he's making films for the popcorn going masses or, 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 you know, for, to, 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 to please his fan base just, or anything like that. Does he normally write 
yeah, all he's of his a, films? Yeah, he's a writer yeah. and director. Um, so I kind of wanted to just use that as a lead-in to Phantom Thread. And maybe I'll, we'll come back to my opinion because I've been talking a lot. But, we'll, but let's 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 let ja- I, Jamie, yeah. I want I want to hear your first thoughts about Phantom Thread. When you oh with no no real spoilers in this section, yeah. but just sort of like what what are the like if you took away bullet points from it, like opinions and things. I loved it. Cool. Very much. Uh, I, I, it's, it's stayed with me as, as I have, you know, aged past it during the week. Uh, <laughs> it was, I, you've I really aged this week. You look great way. for the whole week. <laughs> <laughs> Matured Thanks, like a, a fine wine. I've had a lot of work done since Tuesday. Oh, good. Good. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Oh boy. This is hard. Uh, I think I've, it was unique to me. It was a film that I had never, obviously it was a film that I'd never seen before, but it, it didn't feel like anything else that I had seen. Sure. Um, it was so distinctly just about the dynamic of a relationship. And, uh, and I, I just, I loved how indulgent it was in that. It was a very indulgent film. It was so sensory. And mm. I think that was a really wonderful thing to see. Which the fashion stuff plays into very well. Oh, totally. Um, but but it also just, I, I don't know, in every single scene, in every single moment, I found myself just kind of cradled into the feelings that one of the actors was, you know, expressing or right. or, or when they showed an omelet, I was like, oh man, <laughs> yes, I'm 100% on board with this omelet. I just, I was so completely taken by the movie. Uh when when it finished, I like looked over at you and I had this big smile on my face and you were like, I didn't like it. And I was like, <laughs> God damn it. Thanks for blowing up my spot, Jamie. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, you can edit me out. Nope. No, uh, no I'm keeping it in. So you remember it forever. Um, yeah, I just, uh, no, I, I liked everything about it. Um, I have, I, I, I had one, I had one or two little things, but I, I, I certainly don't think that the movie did anything really wrong. Sure. From, from a relationship point of view, what do you, what do you think was unique and interesting about it? Um, I, well, we hear about, so the, the movie, I don't think I'm spoiling anything here. The movie is very much not, not about a power struggle, but a power dynamic in a relationship. Uh, they sort of use uh, a shift in who's in control and who's manipulating who. And, uh, to, to sort of paraphrase, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, who's driving the car and who's criticizing the driver. Right. Uh, it's <laughs> all about that sort of, uh, that sort of shifting of, of a couple and how that keeps their relationship alive. Um, uh, uh, Reynolds Woodcock, the uh, Woodcocks. Yeah. Reynolds Woodcock. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Great is, name. Is, hey. Cox, is Cox plural or not? Uh, Wood- single. <laughs> it's a singular cock. Just one cock. Just one cock. Yeah, one cock one in cock. the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Literally, uh, yeah. you know, it, and and this is sort of a, a review thing, but like it, he, you you get the feeling that he's kind of been through this process with other people before, mm-hmm. but he meets the uh, the his love interest in this film, and it, things immediately seem different, and right. and it's about the building and the uh, the the sort of life of their relationship and how it works. And it really is just about that. And I thought that was wonderful. I thought it was how, how wonderful of a film to just focus on that. It wasn't about like, I've got to keep my house open and make sure that the neighborhood's alive and there are ghosts in the attic. And then my relationship is sort of the trope of all of this. It was just, (laughs) here's this relationship. Here's a look at it. And that's all you need to think about for this whole movie. And everything else was beautiful and, and in rich, but, but just as you said, backdrop to that. Yeah, Shahir, or you want to? Well, I think you should go because because Jamie kind of you know. Me I'm sorry, I'm yeah. sorry. No, 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 no. So I I too have grown with this film over the week, and and <laughs> if you remember when we were in the theater, Jamie, I was looking at the screen for a while, and I was like debating in my head before I said I didn't like it. Like it wasn't like I just like I don't like this. I was like a I was like a he's not he's not like that. I'm not a cartoon character. <laughs> but, uh, 
Um, I want to talk about some things I did like about it. First of all, okay. Um, I really love, obviously Danny Day Lewis. Great. Moving on. It's just at this point, it's like, oh yes, air. You breathe it, and water is wet. Like that is Danny Day Lewis. is going to be is amazing. Cinematography I really liked. Um, you know, I liked it. Sort of a minimalist lighting. Uh, it it just felt it felt effortless. I never really noticed the cinematography. This is the first time that I think he's not worked with uh, Jim Ellsworth. So it's it's actually Paul Thomas Anderson shooting it. Oh wow! With with, uh, people lighting. Talented son of a bitch. (laughs) But he but he himself says he's not going to take as a cinematographer. Well, okay. <laughs> um, here's what I, this is the biggest prop I want to give this movie. And, 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 it, and I, I want this to be a testament to the skill behind it. Okay. Um, the movie is structured around things that, you know, most would considered at, would be considered topically or even whatever as sort of highly pretentious, like, right. right. Uh, but it never, ever, ever felt pretentious to me. What, like what, what, this he, is a film. Hold on. I'll, yeah. I'll break it down. Okay. This is a film that's about 1950s London, a reclusive slash eccentric fashion designer in love with the common girl and they're super rich. And it's their, it, that to me just drips with sort of like, like just a sort of a, a pretentiousness that should be there. If you just read that list of things down to me, it did not feel that way at all. It felt real and in the moment. And like it was, it was structured in such an honest way that most things I've seen with these similar topics, so just don't do. And I really, I, I take my hat off to the entire team because that's something that like, I'm like, how the fuck did you do this? Like I, well, she hears biting his thumbs. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's that word pretentious. I really, I really dislike that word. I do too. It, because it's being, it, it gets thrown around you. And, and I think what, Hoity toity. I don't, no, I don't know what, what you're saying is highbrow. No. Yeah. I think what you're saying is, is a topic that you're not interested in. No, I, I'm thinking <laughs> right? if, if you look at if I'm not talking about topics I'm interested in or no, not because you just said based on the what the topic was, sure. you didn't say like you, that that you felt that that was a pretentious topic. But like, uh, no, I a mean, fashion designer can be a film, right? Sure, but I think if you told me in your mind or in mm. my mind, let's just and this could all be bias. I it's 100 yeah. percent fine if it is in my brain. When I, someone if someone broke down those things to me, I'd be like. This is going to be a pretty like it, it would really it really likes itself. It really like it thinks it's the smartest film in the room in a weird way where where uh, a film necessarily like I don't know why, but like other films wouldn't have done that. But this movie, I, I want to say, took all of my bias mm-hmm. that I have going into topics like that. And blew me away and was like, nope, we're just going to be a, a fucking solidly constructed, like really good acted film. And I was like, oh, and it was well nice. Acted. It broke. Yes, it broke. <laughs> it Let's let's put it this way, Sheer, because yeah. I feel like maybe my initial thing was a little bit combative. It broke stereotypes for me in my own mind about what films about these topics can be. OK, I'm not saying the stereotypes are correct. It's my preconceived notions going into a thing. Right. So I really respect the skill at which it punched me in the face. Maybe another way to frame it would be is if you're not interested in a film about fashion, this movie, if you're not interested about in a film about 1950s fashion and the, and a house, uh, a couture house, sure. This is not, this is not a film that makes that feel, um, aloof. I sure. think it may be another way to frame that sure. because, because the, the, Again, it's just that that word pretentious really grinds me because I hear it a lot, and I think it's when people just don't like something. I don't know if that's true because I, I, I like pretentious things. I thought about you said that early on after you'd seen the movie uh, that this yeah. compliment to the film, and I, I agree with it. And I think 
I felt like, you know, they, they didn't do anything in the movie that seemed almost like, I don't know if anachronistic is the right word here, but sort of like a wink to the audience of like, wouldn't it be cool if there was just a plate of macaroons on the table too? Like there was nothing trendy now in the movie. Right. So I think, I think for that, it was, it, it just kept itself away from trying to convince the audience that it was cool and yeah. just right. indulged in itself. So now I just want to get into real quick, the, the, the things, things you didn't that like. I didn't like, yeah. uh, namely, and this is a weird sentence for the bit of praise that I've given the film so far. I did not like either of the main characters. <laughs> I think they are acted incredibly well. I don't think they're the, 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 the idea behind them is to like them or pick a side, but I, I have a hard time engaging and I'm talking about uh, Reynolds and Alma. Uh, I have a hard time engaging with the film where I'm like, these are both terrible people in their own way. Right. Um, and I, I have a hard time sort of latching on. In fact, um, the only real character that I latched onto is Cyril uh, Woodcock's sister and business partner in the, in the couture house. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cyril. And well, we'll get into her a little more later. Uh, she had the most agency in my opinion. And I just, I loved the the way that she was played and how the story let her do the things that she did. And she just felt like she was, I was just super interested in her because I liked her. Um, and that's, again, that's a thing I look for when I'm even, this is the thing, even like villains in films or people that, you know, are, are horrible people. I still enjoy, um, when when there's motive sort of to their horribleness, I feel. And this, well, it gave a couple reasons here and there for Woodcock, not really Alma. Uh, they were just bad people to each other and a little bit to other people uh, in, in a way that I was like, I just couldn't get behind. And not like actively bad, just like selfishly bad. I, mm. I think they were they were definitely bad to each other. Uh, but other people, we don't really see or you know what? evidence Here of that. Here we go. I won't say bad people. I'll say highly annoying people that elevate themselves to badness with each other. Okay. They had some bad personality. But the, the worst thing I think, uh, weirdly enough about this film for me was the implementation of the score. The Johnny uh, Greenwood score. Yeah. Now, now the score itself is fine. Mm-hmm. It didn't move me. It didn't not. It didn't. The, the context of what I was listening to was fine. It's through like 70% of the movie though. Right. It's in it a lot. And I don't know if it was my theater or, or what the deal was, but it was loud. It was real loud. And it, and I felt like the film was carrying, like I, I was never knocked out of this movie until the score swelled at a spot. And then I started thinking, Oh, I'm watching a movie. Oh, it's this. Oh, I don't like it. Like it was the, 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 the itch I couldn't scratch. Right. And it just, it really, it, it, poisoned a lot of the film for me i think mm-hmm. the the imp- and, and again i don't want to criticize the score itself i'm not a musician it's it was beautiful music i think used uh too much and mixed loudly right. and and that's a weird thing to criticize but it's one of those things music for me in a film like it it, it is a make or breaker and i hadn't seen something in a long time that gave me this effect of just really like Put, shoving me out of the film every time it got loud, which was a decent amount of time. And then I'd have to sort of fight my way back. Right. Um, yeah, that, that was my stuff. And again, it's one of those things where I, from a film craft point overall, I'm like, Ooh, this is, this is some good, good, good shit. And from a personal enjoyment factor, I was like, it's okay. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's me. Okay. She here. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, um, again, I, I think, you know, uh, PT Anderson has this sort of strange effect on me recently, which is that again, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love were three movies that I kind of fell in love with instantaneously. Um, uh, there will be blood and the master were films that I kind of had to grow with over time. Um, this was a film that kind of just put a smile on my face ear to ear the entire way through. I will agree with you about the score. I would, as the film was going, I was like, Oh, this, I, I love this score. But I feel like it's it, there. Are, there needs to be a break from the score. Yeah, I wanted no moments silence. of quiet. I wanted to experience what I was seeing on the screen and not be distracted from it. Sometimes. Yeah, I, I I will agree with that. There, the score feels like it 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 gets repetitive fairly fairly quickly. But I will say I thought the score was deliciously romantic. Mm-hmm. I was I like when when it's first started, I was like I kind of love this movie, and it's and it's like what Jamie what you were saying, which is like I just loved being in this world. I loved yeah. I, it was there was such a level of comfort, and yes. there was such a level of like feeling cozy and like intimate and and kind of like I just kind of I could I could wander around this house like for a day and just have you know and just wander into stories and and wander out of them and I would You want to sleep no more? Yeah, I could sleep no more this movie uh entirely. All the seamstresses are like, who's that guy? Yeah, who's, that, who's that weird guy like wearing track pants and a, and a t-shirt? <laughs> who's that weird in House of Couture? Who's that weird something I will say and I guess it is just 19 No, it's not I don't know the, the movie was very white. Yeah, it's 1950s. What are you going to do? But it's also, there were 1950s London. London, high couture. Sure. Yeah. Sure. There were other people around. Sure. Uh, I just noticed that leaving and I was like, I don't think there was a non-white person <laughs> in this movie. Um, the So I, I, I kind of, I, and I think it comes down to the thing you said about um, the food and, and the actual closing. There was like the sensuous experience of watching this movie. It was, mm-hmm. it was very, like my, I felt my senses were alive and I felt like the way the camera was pointing at things made me feel like, oh, that is, you know, like, like appreciating the way um, Daniel Day-Lewis draws on a piece of paper is really sensuous. And it's really, in a, you know, like the, the word gets mis, misused or overused, but it's really erotic. You know, like it is, it's, this, it's erotically charged. This was a very sexy movie with yeah. no sex in it. Yeah, It was exactly. like, if you had a movie with sex in it that was this movie and you cooked that down and then like skimmed the top, yeah. of, that was all the sex off and just poured that into Fifty Shades of Grey. yeah. This is the good movie that's left over. And interestingly, and they left all the 50 that's of funny. Interestingly, <laughs> the, the movie you just referenced is something that I, I kind of thought about a little bit as well. 50 Shades of Grey. Ironically, and, same costume designer. Oh, is it? There yeah. you go. Whoa. <laughs> Probably has to spend less on this fabric. That's uh, on hilarious. Um, Solid trip that's to Zara for that. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Um, so, so uh, the the thing that I kind of was surprised about because I again I hadn't watched the trailers. I didn't know anything about the movie going in. Just knew P. T. Anderson's making a movie. Daniel Day Lewis in it. And it's about fashion. You thought it was about ghost strings. Yeah, I did. I really did. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is the phantom thread? What is this invisible thread? Um, was that it? Uh, it becomes a film about the power dynamics in a in a marriage, and and I and and it's something that I really related to and it's something that I I really thought you know thought was done elegantly and well and truthfully and I think there's something to there, there's a there's a kind of unabashed um uh throwback quality to this because it because it is it is you know like again if you think about the me too movement if you think about uh modern feminism you guys just came back from the woman's march today that is true this is not a film that uh, that permeates in the world of modernity it's mm-hmm. not a film that 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 feels like um 
If you want to have those kinds of conversations, this is not a film that will hold that up very well. Yet, no, it's not trying to communicate any of those. Things. No. Yet, on the other side of it, it 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 feels completely honest, and it feels completely authentic, and it feels and and the the dynamics in the power relationship feel one hundred percent real to me. The, yes, and and so the and and what the film where the film eventually lands is this sort of. Completely, uh, in a way, surprising, but yet authentic and unique statement. And there's no pressure to judge the people for what for, for, like, the, for the choices they make. There are moments in this movie where I was like, "That is so fucked up." Yeah, but you don't really judge them. Yes, no. you, like, you, right, do. you no. do. No, Whoa. do your on. thing. You're Hold gonna on. have to make. No, no. That, I, I completely agree. I know. With that. I know. But I just have to say a couple things. Uh, first and foremost. <laughs> Even coming back from the Women's March, like whatever. I, this is a question I kind of wanted to pose to you, and maybe I just missed it. So we get a really like rich introduction to Woodcock and like who he is as a person and his his the way he lives his life and and characteristics about him and who he is as a character. Right. Right. Tell me one thing about Alma, about Alma and her life that does has nothing to do with Woodcock. Let me let me kind of bring the question back to you. Is there anything you need to know about Alma that helps you with the story as it's told? If, if from a from a dealing with it, oh, like relationship wise, yeah, n- no. But here's the deal: you have a huge you have a huge bit on the dude, and the uh, the girl is just a thing. It as as a structure point, not as not as mm-hmm. not the not the the. This is my point: the ends are great. I'm not sure if the means justify them. Accordingly, right. you could you could have painted a very interesting Alma and maybe given hints to her character a little bit and make the whole experience more richer. But it wasn't. She was a waitress that he gets infatuated with. And then the movie moves forward and it's all about them, which is fine. But I wish I wanted even I wanted even keel because the way the story presents her at first before the dynamic really gets going is kind of disposable, especially because it sets up in the beginning. I guess we're getting into minimal spoilers now. Uh, Woodcock gets rid of his last muse. Very like, Bleh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. he's treating people disposably. He's, yeah. And because, you know, and that's sort and of she just could, how she he... and we I think we kind of uh, at the beginning of the film think she is just going to be one of those disposable characters. So to me, the other thing is as well, the, the thing that I think yeah, um, works here is that, and the thing that makes it amazing for me, the, the, the thing that a, a put a real big smile on my face and also I thought was kind of a profound ending was that this, this power dynamic in this film is between two people of completely different power levels. Like he is, you know, on a completely different playing field from her. He is the person. Sure. You know, like people come up to him and say, I want to die in your dresses, yeah. you know, and she <laughs> is a waitress. And, 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 and the, the, the thing was, there's a one scene in this film, and that, okay, which, sorry. which I just thought was devastatingly romantic. And I was just kind of, it was the moment where I kind of went, I'm in love with this character at this point. Which character? Uh, with uh, Alma. Okay. And it, and it's it's a weird moment because it's a moment of um it's a moment of devotion that I think I hadn't quite cottoned onto at this point. You know, like I wasn't sure if she was there just because it's, you know, Reynolds Woodcock who's this famous man and I'm just kind of going to attach myself to 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 his world and and you know, I'm I'm just a kind of a tourist in this sort of grand world and I'm, you know, I was once a waitress and now I live in this amazing house and I do this thing now. But it's this moment where they um 
and this is getting into spoilers, but they uh, spoilers he, from here on out. He Ba-da! has to make a dress for a very wealthy woman. Uh, a, uh, I forget her name, Barb Barbosa or something like that. Uh, sure, Barbosa. Captain Barbosa. It was Captain Barbosa. Barbosa. Yeah, yeah that's Jeffrey where, Rush. Yeah, there and you go. the apples. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 uh, she is a, a very wealthy woman who uh, Cyril says you know pays for this house. Um, you know is really a, a, a substantial ben- a substantial benefactor to this. And they go to the wedding, which is something he doesn't want to do. And, 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 uh, Alma leans over to him and says, she doesn't deserve this. She does not deserve this dress. And then they go back and get the dress. And it's this moment where they, where they, where they have so to, many mixed feelings. Yeah. Where they, where they like, they, they, they're, they're the, because the thing there is like his, the woman passes out drunk or something yeah, in the but, film. But yeah. she, the bride, she, the bride is passed out drunk. It's it's her fourth marriage. Um, you know, it's something that he doesn't really want to design. He knows that she doesn't really have taste. Um, but and 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 Alma basically says she does. She doesn't deserve to be in a woodcock dress. And and then they take the dress back. And 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 that's when that's when Reynolds kind of likes. You know, he falls in love with her at that moment because she. She shows a devotion to and a realization to his art, and it, it kind of to me as well. I was like, "This is why people love his clothes." Sure, and and, and I was I just found that moment devastating. But you could also romantic. take that. I, as- yeah, I think it's interesting that you that that you've said what you've said, and now you're citing that scene as something you loved because that to me is such an interesting scene because it's also the only time where you're like, "God, you guys are kind of dicks." Yeah, like the, this woman. They're dicks there, for each other. There's yeah. intense. There's intense pity played to the the character who for whom the dress is made in right. this movie. She. She clearly is distressed. She thinks she's ugly. She has a drinking problem. She's she's fourth marriage. Kind right. of, yeah, her life is not where she wants it. And she passes out drunk and they're furious that she would do that in this dress because it's high society London, et cetera, et cetera. And that to me is where and they pull the dress off yeah. while she's passed out. And, that and whole, like it's yeah. it's tough. And that whole interaction to me is where, and again, I I there, it might be the wrong word, but I can't think of another word. There's a pretension there, not in the film, in the characters. Does it right. does it make sense? Where it's like they're they're so up each other's asses at this point. And you do that when you're in love. That makes total sense. Um, but it doesn't make me like them at all. It makes me it makes me dislike Woodcock because he's an arrogant fuck that's taking this person's money. He, living in the house that they're paying for and being such a fucking snob when dealing with the one special day in their life. And then it's, it's Alma who's buying into this wholeheartedly coming as an outsider to this entire thing and due to her devotion to him again lovely from a relationship standpoint but like i would want to punch both of them in the throat like that that's just not that's those are two people that this is this is this is where it doesn't get me it's things like that i don't give a shit about your relationship even no matter how interesting it is if you're dicks like i just that's a me thing and 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 that's not a slight so I'm guessing you're not itself. a big fan of like natural born killers or true romance or anything like anything like movie where like two terrible people are in love. Kind of no. <laughs> I mean, there's some interesting parts just like there are here and, yeah. and it services an interesting um, psychological uh, grasp at what mm-hmm. love does yeah. um, and what love is and how love is different for other people. But it's funny when I'm just like. Right. And, and and that sadly uh I, again cyril cyril for fucking president 2020 like i love cyril <laughs> cyril's great we can movie. talk about cyril forever if we want to i She's, think she she had the most most defining character arc she had the most agency <laughs> she she you knew exactly where she stood without saying a fucking word and he, she was just this powerhouse like and it's we i don't oh oh i that she was so good 
I think I think there's an interesting thing with her character where she is. So so the other thing is is. I, and I, I guess we should talk about this because I think this is an interesting point of engagement with the film, um, you know, in terms of how you personally react to this. But I, but I wonder about the role of the term genius as anointed to someone that this film kind of takes a point on, which is, which is to say this character is anointed as a genius. Yes. He is, you know, again, we see character, you know, we see people come up to him and say, I want to be buried in one of your dresses. Which is insane. Um, and, and, you know, he is amongst the best of the best in terms of couture. He dresses royalty, he dresses princes and, you know, princesses. Uh, he, a duke or two. Yeah. And, and, and what happens is the people around him, Cyril, and Alma kind of both are the supporters, enablers, and recipients of his abuse sure. because of his perceived genius. Yes. And it and it gets into this interesting thing, which I which I think um, you, you kind of mentioned this thing, unlikable character, and and I have a uh, I have a real pushback against that because I I don't think characters it's the wrong term. To, no, well, I just don't think characters have to be likable. I agree. I, 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 think, I, I I'm mm, misspeaking a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not unlikable. There's tons of unlikable characters that I love. Yeah, it's it's I, uh, it's it's here's the thing. It's annoying characters. And I think their characteristics are of bad people and they're annoying me. Right. Okay. Uh, that That's what it is. They're not, again, it's that I, I've loved movies with d- fucking terrible people. Right. I loved the character. And this was just like, yeah, you were, you were, so, but to me, the, the dynamic at play here is, is how much, how much should we let Woodcock get away with? How much Woodcock could a Woodcock cock if a Woodcock could cock wood? Very, very, wow. Um, Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, like, because, because the first thing that happens after this relationship is formed is we start to see the depth of, of, wood, of Reynolds' dismissiveness of the people around him sure. in, 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 for say, but- in, in contrast to his art. So, you know, like, so for him, his art is everything. And, and he has a, a, a habit. He has a process. He, he works a certain way. And nothing, Dick move, Reynolds. nothing also, steps in that. He also uses that as like sort of a protective shell. He's someone who has built up this, and Alma calls him out on this, this mm. sort of wall of strictness and, and yeah. compulsive attitudes and arrogance uh, because he, to, to protect himself because he's he's pinned uh, um, <laughs> under the uh, under the heel of loss and vulnerability I, I guess from the death of his mother very yeah, well developed mean, character yeah. yes yes and and all he you know he he needs people he needs inspiration and he needs people that that can be there for him and build him up but you know eventually they kind of submit to his sort of strong will and then he gets bored with them because they can't keep the relationship going and and then the Alma ultimate- has this irreverence for his neuroses and that and that's and that, and, I, and I think that's what's what's fascinating about where this film actually ends up going because Alma finds a way to 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 not only to 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 bring him down but also to like earn his praise like in a way she, she earns his submission like he basically gives in to her oh, sure by sure, sure, the sure. film so and, let's let's can we talk can I just set this up so it makes sense we're we're almost an hour in and I want to like I want to get to the meat and potatoes of like the the the, the we're the, just the, at the asparagus yeah yeah the asparagus. The, the, the the twist I guess if you want to call it that so throughout this film um there, there it's a back and forth this power dynamic that we've discussed and then after one after Woodcock being an incredible dick to her after a meal she wanted to cook just for the two of them she says uh, the, he almost the scene is improvised 
Is it really? Yeah. That was great. It was great. Um, it was great as if you like see a couple imploding at a table, if you like that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> Apparently, and, everyone but you does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, so rather than he's like tells her to leave or whatever, and then rather than that, she just takes his shit for a little while and then decides to poison him. <laughs> now, I, at that point in the film, I wasn't sure if she was actually trying to kill him or not. I don't think she was. No, but I think he gets it wants that, us to think that we she sure yeah. that's the, the film's pointing that direction. She uh, does there's a whole setup with poisonous mushrooms. She she makes him a thing. Uh, he gets very ill, and she puts herself in a position. Uh, very political uh, to be the only caretaker of him, kind of usurping uh, Cyril as the predominant person. Actually, the doctor calls her Mrs. Woodcocks yeah. before they're married, and that gives that gets her off. Yeah. So, so then uh, as he gets better, he has this moment because he hasn't been weak in so long. And I, I listen. I'll be the first to say Jamie can 100 percent attest to this for the time you've seen me sick. Men in particular, it seems. Oh, your baby. When yeah. you get sick because we're <laughs> because we're normally so strong, yeah. but like it, I don't know if it's the the illusion of that in the beginning or whatever. But it, I turn into a whiny little little child at that point, and and Woodcock does the same thing. He leans on Alma, and then there's this power dynamic, and he gets I think is it's sort of a release for him, and it sort of is this other dynamic. He asks to marry them, they get married, and then they start falling out of love because oops who, who on, on paper they don't work and then which is fine and then as it's sort of downward spiraling again like new year's happens they don't want to uh go to the same things blah 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 blah, blah. multiple things happen she decides to poison him again <laughs> and there's this scene which we'll talk about it's such a good scene. yeah well here's the deal <laughs> it's a great scene but there's something off about it for me. The scene I'm going to describe is basically uh, Alma. They're just in the middle of their huge fight. And Alma is cooking dinner in front of Woodcock alone in the kitchen. And Woodcock has in his face like, oh, maybe she's going to poison me. Like there's maybe this like like something's going to happen. She's putting something in my food. And like they have this whole moment where like they come sit down. It's slow. It's methodical. It's this weird like, will he eat it? Does he know what's going on? And then she drops the bomb. Of, she says something like, I want you flat on your back and helpless and blah, blah, blah. And it's a beautiful line. And then he eats the omelet she's prepared. Again, the omelet aforementioned Jamie talked about well, before. You're you're speeding this scene up a little too much. Well, and let me just finish it and you can sorry, you can sorry, go sorry, into sorry. the you can go into the, the okay. nitty-gritty of it. Uh and then he eats it, and you you notice after a line he says, uh, you know, kiss me, my girl, before I get sick, he realizes that she is poisoning him. And in fact, he wants to be able to feel uh, as vulnerable as he was before because it helped him overall. Uh, and he's not able to do that unless he's in an ill state, it seems, which from a psychological perspective, it's pretty fucked up. But that is their dynamic and it makes a very interesting case study for the type of relationships and the type of i'll say love uh all it's all on different spectrums now i think when i walked out of the film i was like this is this is wrong of me but i was like that twist is bullshit what? And it was wrong of me. Why? And I want I, I know. Explain yourself. Well, okay. The, I thought the twist was bullshit because it just felt like in the moment before reflection, and I'm saying this to hopefully dissuade people from thinking that moment is bullshit. Okay. I, if if they're on my side of this fence, and I don't think a ton of people are, but I'll just finish this up because it feels like the kind of thing that would just be put in for shock value. It, it, it initially that's what it felt like to me. But okay. then as as I sort of uh, went over the film in my head and despite the fact I didn't particularly uh, I found the characters annoying. It's it's such an interesting completionist view of love as opposed to like 
how do I put it? Love is supposed to be a big old happy thing that you fall into. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least that's what mainstream, (laughs) lamestream media would tell us. (laughs) Um, But love isn't that. Love is, is, in my opinion, uh, a sake of completionism. That's not even a word, but like it's it's when two people have different holes in them, let's just say, and not like that, Shahir. <laughs> Didn't say anything. Uh, Didn't say anything. But, and, but sometimes also. But sometimes yeah. also. Yeah. And it could. Maybe maybe it's the same holes. Who knows? But no. Uh, it goes back to a phrase I always go to with relationships. And Jamie, I think I've said this to you before. It's like, it's okay to have baggage. We all have it. The important thing is finding someone's baggage who matches. Like matching luggage. You want Samsonite and they want them. To and, 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 and the kits should not be the exact one. Should have the big one, the hard mm-hmm. shell, then the soft care on. My point is everyone has broken pieces to them. Mm-hmm. And the way a successful, I'll say, or the way true love really hits is when you complete the other, you fill in the other person's gaps the same way that they fill in yours. And these people are not psychologically healthy in my opinion, but these characters, mm-hmm. uh, but they most certainly by the end of the film, due to that specific scene, they complete each other. They yeah. are filling the cracks of the other person, and that I think is beautiful. Yeah, and there's a suggestion that as they progress in the relationship, they kind of live this fulfilled life because of how they handle that. Because they, how honest the they are, yeah. They have a baby, that she becomes more prominent in the fashion house, that Cyril is still in the picture and kind of still has her her <laughs> piece in that, which is an anxiety throughout the film is whether or not Cyril's going to get pushed out. Yeah. Uh, oh, I never thought you'd get pushed out. Uh, no, well, they, I, I they thought, set yeah. that up. There's a the power play the, dynamic. The power, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then she shuts him down so there, fast. We disagree. no, it's not her that she's. Wor- it's it's not him that she's worried about. It's 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 Alma. Yeah, and we mm. we both really liked Cyril in the film, but we also I said Cyril. Uh, but we, <laughs> we I love Cyril. Please edit everything. Mm. You say. Nope. Uh, we disagreed on on her sort of uh, her purpose and her tragedy in sure, the film because right. there's that great scene in the beginning where he talks about uh, if you touch a wedding dress that it's not yours you're cursed yeah. and then she says oh did Cyril help you on this wedding dress and he's like yeah and she's <laughs> like did she ever get married and he's like no <laughs> but he has this sudden sudden moment of almost quiet panic when he says it and yeah. then uh, you know later you see that he's sewn uh, a la- he sews labels into his dresses so that they have names on them never cursed. that's what labels are for and he's sewn nev- never cursed in. and there's different ways you can look at why he's put that label in yeah uh, and I like the idea that maybe it's for Cyril. Yeah. Uh, because she's, uh, I used the word trapped. Yeah. Uh, Matt, you didn't seem to like that. Word. I don't, don't think she's, like she's trapped, trapped at all. I think she has maybe resigned life, herself to her brother's life. Maybe life hasn't care. gone the way she thought it would, but uh, the movie doesn't give me enough to really think she's unhappy in her place. So, and that I, I, I equate trapped to unhappy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up uh, a sort of a film reference to this because I think what? it's it's relevant. Um, I and thought this was a podcast about noodles. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Well, <laughs> that, Jamie, you've just signed on for the only podcast it. about noodles. Yeah, the extended uh, podcast only <laughs> podcast universe. Um, no, because uh, P.T. Anderson has talked about the fact that he wanted to make a film akin. He he wanted to make a Hitchcockian romance, um, and and the film that he kind of referred to was Rebecca, which is uh, the only film Hitchcock ever made that won Best Picture. Sure. Sure. Um, he Gaslight. And he did reference Gaslight, which is not a Hitchcock film, but a great movie. Um, but the 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 reason I wanted to bring that up as well is because Alma is named Alma, which is the which was Hitchcock's wife's name. And Hitchcock's oh. wife was famously known to be the secret um 
I guess the secret ingredient in Hitchcock's genius. Sure. And he and she was the woman, like she saved so many of Hitchcock's films. And Hitchcock was, by all accounts, a terrible human being. Yes. If you want to see any <laughs> uh, representations of this, uh, there were two films made about Alfred Hitchcock in the last couple of years about the making of The Birds and I think the making of Psycho. Um, and Hitchcock was an awful, awful human being that that Alma stood by her entire life. And 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 she put and there was this interesting thing with Hitchcock. Uh, she I, I, theoretically put the mushrooms in his omelet she not only that um when she passed away um that was kind of seen to be the point at which hitchcock began to decline because hitchcock's you know one of the things everyone everyone presumed hitchcock was this impenetrable genius that that had his work habits and 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 you know had a, a certain way of doing things but it, but it was in fact alma that held him together sure and and i think I would like to think the fact that that uh, Vicky Creeps' character is named Alma is a reference point to that. hundred percent, it is. hundred percent. That That's great. That's beautiful. And and I think and I think you know the the reason why uh, that the 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 scene that you describe where she's making omelets for him. There's a poison omelets. There's a. It's a really good scene. It's now, really you and, gotta and, retell that scene. Yeah, it's and, so good. And, and the thing was, it was like immediately afterwards, I was like, I really, I, I really want omelets right now. I oh really, god, that omelet yeah. looks so it was good. So you good. want the omelet? I actually just, went. Yeah, you did too. Yeah, I made <laughs> right. omelets the next day. Enjoy <laughs> being poisoned, you two. Um, but the thing, the thing there is, there's a glo- there's a growing realization as she's making the omelet that he comes to, which is that, oh. This is why I got sick. This is how this happened. Mm-hmm. And this is how, because at this moment, he's thinking, I've made a terrible mistake. In fact, he even says that. I've made a terrible mistake by bringing her into this house. He's, I think the, the most amazing line in his, is uh, there's a, the stale smell of death in this house, and I do not like the smell of it, or something yeah. along those lines. They have that sitcom moment where he's bitching to Cyril yeah, about and her, she and she up. walks in the back, and yeah. it's like, oh my God, she's right behind us. Only it's very a, highbrow. It's a great Cyril scene, too. Yeah, it's because Cyril just Cyril like, realized. Sort and of so like, you're impossible. You do this to yourself. You're, you're, ter- you, yeah. She's like, uh, my ears are hurting from hearing yeah. about she this. She is no longer drinking the Kool Aid. Exactly. And 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 what he, he he's and he's also falling apart. You know, like he has that whole scene where he, you know he's like, what the fuck is chic? You know, like I don't I don't give a fuck don't what chic that is. Filthy little it, word chic. Yeah, and it's a, and it's this <laughs> moment where he realizes that his his power in the world is diminished. Ugh, and, I don't and, like him. And, and then, and the, the moment of her making the, the thing about the, 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 why that scene is brilliant is that the realization happens over the course of the scene. Yes. It's not, it's not like as he, as he eats the omelet, he eats the omelet with this in his mind. And he, and if you watch it, the, the, the he geni- plays her for a bit, the, ge- well, no, the they genius, dare each other. Yeah. He, he takes, he takes the omelet. It's he has a silent sport. dare as They're well. They're just looking at each other. And he, and he doesn't chew. That's he, the amazing. Yeah. That's the amazing thing. He puts it in his mouth, and it's and, he and chew. no, he, he chews a chew. ton. Yeah, no, no, he, he, a lot. he he puts it in his mouth, and he holds it there for a second, looking at her, and she's looking at him, and then he bites down, which is this moment of like acceptance. It's yeah, like it's like, I know. But then what he this chews is. for like nine minutes because he's accepted her. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. But he accepts her for a long time, and it's so, they're playing <laughs> but, chicken. Is yeah, he sort I understand. Of, he's sort yeah. of like, do you? You're poisoning me. Is yeah. that what's happening? And then she explains in a. <laughs> beautifully malicious sort of way that she wants him wounded and weak yeah. so that she can build him up again. And then he's like, all, all right. Yeah. And it, <laughs> and it, but, great. But, but that, you know, like the, the, the moment, the, the, if we go back to the first poisoning, the thing that he sees um, while he's poisoned is an image of his mother. I believe it is, mm-hmm. you know, like she's standing there in this dress that, sure. that he made, she but, but he's got mommy issues, but oh, Vicky uh, Alma is the one that comes to, to help him. So it, 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 
it reconnects him with the thing that he loved the most mm-hmm. as well. So it is, it's, it's, it's an incredible scene. It's, and, and this is the thing, you know, like I, I fell in love with these, I mean, I fell in love with these characters before that scene, but that scene was such a perfect encapsulation of this unusual power play. And it was, you know, like, uh, it, it's, it, and it's something that um, I think is prevalent in There Will Be Blood and The Master, which is that there are both of those films are about the powered relationship between two uneven players. In There Will Be Blood, it's Daniel Playview and Eli Sunday. Daniel Playview, uh, Plainview, is the uber capitalist, you know, the the, the multi millionaire against uh, Eli Eli Sunday, who's the you know the church owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there, it's a completely uneven playing field. Sure, sure, and sure, in The sure. Master, it's the same thing with Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. I really like them. And- Master, though. And, Why and in this the, film is the same thing. It's, yeah. that it's a completely uneven payoff, but she wins. And the ambiguity <laughs> of where Alma's from and what she's doing is part of this. They yeah. call it out. They don't just, he didn't just not write Alma because he was lazy. Like he, 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 they even, he, in the asparagus scene, he yeah. points out, he says, well, why don't you just go fuck off back, back to, to wherever, wherever you came from? But, that, but that's perfect. That's kind of to my point is they don't give Alma any agency outside of this relationship where he had a, he was dripping with agency before the relationship. That's my only point. I just want it to be even. And, and I, I feel like. It's not part of the dynamic of their relationship. And I also but it is. Not, at the not, end, it absolutely is. And I get maybe wanting to, to sort of hide that in the beginning. But at the same time, it just feels, it, and this is just what I read into. Uh, Anderson's more interested in setting up Woodcock because he thinks that person is more interesting than Alma. And in the script, maybe that's true. But I would, I'm just saying, if if I could, you always do these hypothetical things where you're like, if I could see this or if I was doing it, that's what I would have liked to see and what I, and what would have maybe helped ground me in, wow, Alma's really annoying, but like I could see more why she's annoying because right now all I get is petulant child. Uh Alma? Alma. Yeah, no, I, th- really? I think yeah. Alma's more interesting than Woodcock. Yeah. We just have more information She's actually the more, Woodcock. she's actually the kind of the main character through this film. Yeah. It just starts with Woodcock. But, and but the, the, thing, but and the, the thing is, what you're describing are scenes where we find out a little bit more about Alma. She has no agency outside this relationship. But, well, no, no, but, no, 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 hang on. Regardless okay. of agency. No, no, and regardless of agency, she is the one that takes control by the end of this film. She is in charge control of Control doesn't mean, the, the, <laughs> control doesn't mean she's a well-developed character. Well, uh, okay, so the point the point I guess I wanted to make is what would be the like I can imagine maybe some of the scenes you're talking about where we find out about Alma's backstory. I could see them being like in my mind they add nothing to the film. Like I, I don't I don't think they, they add, add anything they in add and and I think if they if you saw Alma's life as sort of, you know, the w- waiting tables and and maybe not having that much, which is what we are sort of insinuated you might think, oh, okay, well, this is a power grab. This is this yeah. is her going into this rich fashion house to do more. But in fact, you don't want to see that aspect of their relationship because that's not what it's about for her. She And she says this. She sort of says, like, he made me who I am. I never really liked myself. And, I didn't the, and, really, and that's why I love like, that he, scene. She's given, She even says, I've given him every piece yeah, of yeah, yeah, That's I guess, why I, I guess, love that scene where she takes the dress back because it is this, like, I am 100% in love with your work and with you. I guess it's because, again, I find that concept... I I could personally... And this all comes back to the way personally we relate to relationships and love. I could never fall in love with someone whom... uh, who said that sentiment to me. 
because I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, you're great. You have a ton of great quality. Like, no, but that's the thing. He doesn't. That's he what, doesn't that's, until she's poisoned him. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> he, like, he is ready to get rid of her. Exactly. Yeah. So but, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that, to, like, the, and again, I say petulant child because she stomps around a bunch before and after she poisons him doing whatever she wants. And because she's, the whole thing is that you could break it down to two Differently annoying people, but of very different ages. And that's a hard dynamic. Age age in a relationship is a tricky thing. You, you think it might not be, but it, it can come crumbling down, especially when he's supposed to be, what, 50 and she's like 20-something? Yeah. Like, that's hard. That's, that's, a, that's a whole generation and a half just sort of like difference. And even the littlest things like references and things like that are are, are hard on minimal things. And I don't know. The, my, my point is, and this sort of gets into a bit of sort of final thoughts, I think, for me, because we've been going for a bit. And I don't, I don't want to – I respect this. This movie too much to have my final thoughts be the final thoughts so i want to do me shahir then jamie sure okay um basically i it's it's a film whose characters didn't grab me for the various reasons that i've put out there but that i think is shooting for the fucking moon and and hitting so close to it for me not quite hitting the mark but dealing with the complexity of what love is and how relationships affect various people and 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 a couple in particular that we don't normally see we don't normally see these type of people doing that and that I find very interesting the craftsmanship that everyone behind it, actors, directors, everybody on this thing killed it with maybe the exception of the sound mixer uh, for for the score. <laughs> Just on my, again. Do, do you mean the editor? Because the sound mixer would have balanced. It's the kind sound. of both. Well, I think it was misbalanced. Really? Yeah, I think it's too loud in too many places. So I guess it's both. So thank you for calling that out. <laughs> okay. Um, but but it's it's an ode to the uh basically the complexity of love, and I think that it shows us that there there's. Love goes on beyond and it goes to interesting angles that what society might deem appropriate. But as a film going experience, I didn't after all these things weighed out, I didn't love it or hate it. And that to me, and I, I this is a weird thing to say, and this is not saying that this film I'm going to say is of the same caliber technically, but it must be what Shahir, it must be what you feel like when you watch Thor the Dark World. It's just sort of like you don't you're like, oh. And that's, and that's, it's just because of the, and I don't feel that way when I watch that. I'm just saying it's this, it's this level of like, uh, like I, I, I see where things could have been changed for me to absolutely fall in love with this movie, but I don't think it would be what it is enough to do it. Are we allowed to argue during your closing? Thoughts? You can, well, you can bring <laughs> it up, bring it up no. when, 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 after she here goes. And again, I, again, this is just me. I, I can't, yeah. I can't. Say I I don't know I just I wish it grabbed me but it didn't and that and that is a completely legitimate response to the movie if it if it doesn't grab you then then you know we talked about the shape of water yes. uh, uh, last week where I was like oh a couple of weeks ago where I was like I, I think this is a perfect film but it, but it does it does very little emotionally for me sure um and and that's and, kind of yeah, yeah. I mean honestly I th- that's I think, a better I think, that's a better note. yeah because because Thor the Dark World I think fails on on much more profound levels than than and again than I, this I don't want to agree quality that's just sort of like it i was trying yeah. to think of the most baseline mcu thing the, yeah i, th- I think sh- shape of water is maybe a better yeah, example yeah, no i mean you can listen to last week's episode or two weeks ago shape of water uh and that's a hundred that's that's my feeling yeah and so i hope that's at least semi-relatable <laughs> uh i will so so if we're if we're related on a personable level um 
I I absolutely adored this film. I was in love with it. And the thing about, you know, it's a perfect example in the comparison of uh, with The Shape of Water is that the thing that I said there is that it, something, you know, I think The Shape of Water is arguably a perfect film, but the wall between or the barrier between the film and me sitting in the theater didn't melt away. Precisely. And in the barrier between me and Phantom Thread completely melted away where I was just in this movie. And I, I could watch six hours of this movie. I could, I, and you know, to be to be honest with you. Could you watch it longer than OJ's documentary? Um, legitimately, probably. Okay, cool. Uh, the thing was, is I, I, I want to, it was one of those films where as, as, as it ended, I wanted to go to the next session and, and watch it again. That's you know, nice. I was, I was like, I'm, I'm ready to do this again. I, uh, the other thing is I think, um, uh, you know, like I've been on this like <laughs> lifelong quest this summer to try and find movies that I think my wife will like. I think she will love this movie. Good. Um, and I think, and I think she'll love it because a, because it deals, uh, because the, the world of fashion is so, um, elegant, uh, sensuous, erotic and, and couple that with a power relationship story that I think, you know, a film, like Fifty Shades of Grey is trying to reach for. And actually, you know, to be honest with you, I'm one of those people that doesn't hate Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't think Fifty Shades of Grey is trying to reach for what this film is reaching for. I don't agree. I really don't. I think they're trying to reach for the salaciousness of it, where this film is not about salation. This film is about But uh, Or or another film, for example, that I was thinking of was Secretary. Have you guys seen Secretary with Maggie Gyllenhaal? No. You know, like there's this power dynamic that's at play that is imbalanced. And and what this film is really getting at is the notion that, that that imbalance it's the thing you said, which is that that love exists in many different forms, yes. and it doesn't require equal footing. Yes. It requires equal understanding. Um, and and this movie, it, it, you know, like uh, again, the thing that I first off, it's also devilishly funny. This movie is like ridiculously funny. Oh, yeah. I was laughing a lot during this movie. <laughs> uh, not only was I laughing a lot, like there were moments, like the, this movie did things where, like when when he dipped asparagus in butter. My mouth, my, my jaw dropped, and I was like, "Oh no!" You know, like it was. It did things like that. It set up. It set up this world where he was such a power player yeah. that I was so invested in his response to things that she was doing, and so I loved that this film actually got real. It actually got physical responses out of me, and so I was just enamored. And and my theater was laughing. Now, granted, I think the thing, the point that you mentioned earlier when when you used the word pretentious was that the 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 audience I saw it with were definitely all over 50. Like they were, oh. it, was, it was a very much an older audience That's and they, nice. and they, they were laughing, they were enjoying it. And I, and I, maybe I am just a, an old curmudgeon, but I was alongside with them. It's like a good episode of Frasier. <laughs> so I love Frasier's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, uh, absolutely loved this film. I, uh, it will appear on my top 10 list, obviously for the end of the year. Um, I, uh, am enamored with it in every way. I, I adore this sort of continued evolution of, of, of Paul Thomas Anderson. But I think, I think what I love about this is that this is a, a romantic film that only he could make. And it, it points to a, 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 a kind of romanticism that is unique, that is heartfelt, that, that, that most romantic film, when most romantic films kind of sell uh, love and romance as a pre, as a 
as a predetermined package project oh, you know, yes. that you could buy yep. off the shelf. And that's not what this film is selling. 100%. So I adored it. I have much more superlatives for this film yeah. than I could say, but but uh, I'll let you, Jamie, have the final word. Take us home! All right. This, this won't be as graceful as you two <laughs> pros. Um, well, Matt, I, I'm sad that you didn't like this film, and I worry that your personal objection to these characters blocks you from seeing the... The I don't want to use the word beauty, but I, I think that the earnestness of their of their power dynamic and how it builds a relationship and how you can just see what purely that is in the film. Uh, I don't like love story movies and 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 like because they're saccharine. Yeah, they they just bug me. I've never wanted to see the Notebook. I just don't. I don't <laughs> give a fuck. Um, this movie, I think, is how I'm supposed to feel when I see those other movies. Right. I, I was exactly in love with the characters and it made me want to, to be in a, in, in, in love like this and, and feel these things. And it, it just, it, it totally pulls you under the, under the, the, the hood of itself. Um, I, I really loved that. It was, again, it's just, it's, it was a joy to be able to simplify everything else and forget about, uh, uh, relevance to the modern world and, right. and, sure. and and just focus on what these two people are doing and what Cyril is doing as well. Uh, I don't know. My, my studying for this movie was so, um, <laughs> so fashion oriented. And I think that says something too, whereas to yes, it fashion was a backdrop, but I, I, I looked around, there aren't movies that have this effective, a uh, backdrop as, as, as I'm not saying this. Well. I, I mean, I, I could, I would love to, before we finish out, recommend some films. If you love, if you love the fashion in this movie. Oh, I have a list. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. Maybe <laughs> let's, let's check my list with your list. Wow. Yeah. Um, I wish you could have seen the way that list was revealed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Out of my shirt. No, yeah. just kidding. Um, I'm wearing a turtleneck. It would be really <laughs> awkward to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I don't have, um, I don't have a, a great closing statement. I just so enjoyed being rolled up in this movie. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to exactly be rolled up in a maybe bolt of taffeta at the end of it. Uh, I don't know what taffeta is. Myself. It's a fabric. Okay, yeah. there you go. <laughs> uh, but then when Matt didn't like it, I had to cancel my Amazon order of taffeta. You did not. No, <laughs> I think one of, the, one of the best parts. Did you replace best... it with nylon or something like that? <laughs> it's burlap. It's burlap and tweed, and that's all I'll take. No, I I, I really liked, um, real quick, I liked that we didn't like it the same. Yeah. and well, I enjoyed that. Then we had to Wait, kind of defend we, our opinions. Have we, we haven't mentioned one thing on this podcast, which I think is really interesting in terms of everything we've said. You two are dating. Sure. Yeah, we, we talked about that, how it was interesting that like, I'm going to come on the podcast as the fashion person, yeah. but this is a movie about relationships. Sure. Yeah. And, and you like, guys, and you guys are having this opposite relationship to this film, but that's kind of, that's, 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 it makes sense. And can am I, am, I, I'm, I'm going to poison him later. And yeah. We'll do you guys want to get on the couch and I will just like psychoanalyze your relationship? No. Okay. <laughs> I'll go to a professional. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not the dude that psychoanalyzes films with me every week. Um, <laughs> No, and I think that's very interesting. Something, again, I go back to, you know, I don't want to get, I, I was trying not to get sappy about this, but the things I liked about this was going back to my original point of like, these are two people that while societal norms would say this is fucked up, they do complete each other. And I feel like a lot of, I've noticed in our dynamic, Jamie, that when one of us is upset about a thing, the other one sort of does a different, like, we have both yet to be very upset at the same 
at the same time, like outside of each other. That's like true. if there's if there's a situation that's upsetting me, you will sort of rise up and sort of be like, what can we do? And be very um, like when Zoe tried to jump out a window. A hundred percent. So wow. like, so that's my cat. If you for those of you who are listening for the first time, or when you were down about something or or, or oh, sad about something. Oh, I got mad about littering at the women's march. Sure, but you then, told me I didn't have ID and there was nothing I could do. Yeah, so, but but like <laughs> can't get arrested. But I don't know if that's the exact analysis. But like we do, we 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 fill the gap of the other person, and that's what we. I would say we do it in a more psychologically uh, healthy way, but this film does show that, and that's a thing a lot of uh, romance movies don't ever show. I just wish that there was more... Ooh, that's such a good point. Yeah. this Romance movies are about like the will they, won't they, and the like, oh, but she went back to the apartment for the shoes in the end, and like, this is <laughs> this is about the functioning of the relationship and the ongoing period and how it doesn't work, and then it does work, the and how they make it through, and yeah. how wonderful is that? We never see that. The seesaw only works if two people are operating it. Can I, uh, can I uh, in my closing statements, just yeah. Because I did have yeah. so much fun watching this movie. That I yes, Balenciaga was sort of the beginning inspiration for uh, for Woodcock, but uh, there's so much to this character that's referential in the fashion world. Okay, um, Charles James was a was a Manhattan based couturier who was just a nightmare person. Oh really? So I kept thinking about him, and then when I was researching Vogue, like back when the movie was in the makings, was like, is this movie about Charles James? Seems like it's about Charles James. Oh wow! Uh, he had an exhibit at the Met, and it was just it, <laughs> he was a genius patterner and drafter, and uh, made incredible things. Um, what did, and died. did I know? We're, I know we we're kind of drifting off, but what did you think of the actual the actual couture in this film? Well, I loved it, and actually, if someone wants to see more, if <laughs> someone really loved that aspect of right. it. Go watch Dior and I. It's a documentary right, yeah. about uh, Raph Simmons, and it's stunning. And it's about his first collection at Dior uh, when he was uh, at the helm of that uh, house. Uh, he's since left and is now at Calvin Klein. Sure. Um, but it's it's just a beautiful movie about sort of the beginning and and fruition of the, the conceptual design and then creation of a, of a couture line. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's the Ralph Simmons is the opposite of Woodcock. He's, right. He's, he's quiet yeah, yeah. and reserved and thoughtful and you get and this kind, feeling of kindness. Perhaps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and now if you Not look at, dick. if you look at, um, if you look at who's popular now in, uh, and I'm using a New York times article for reference here. Uh, if you look at uh, who's popular now in fashion, personalities has switched since right. we lost Alexander McQueen, who was difficult to suicide yeah. very tragically. Uh, we, John Galliano, uh, started saying some pretty messed up things when he was drunk one night and, yeah. uh, was violently removed from his fashion house. Uh, and that was very humbling, I think to the fashion world. So since 2011, 12, the people that have surfaced as sort of the, the huge, amazing personalities are, uh, great people. Phoebe, uh, Phoebe Philo uh, jokingly said like how great it would be if you couldn't Google her. And right. uh, Raph Simmons is really kind. Michael Kors is said to be like the life of every party. Really. Oh, really? The the exception is Karl Lagerfeld, who, who is, uh, uh, is totally again, crazy, beautifully dressed, extremely regimented, <laughs> yeah. uh, has a set of maids just for his cat. Yeah. Uh, and he seems maybe, like he's I think from he's a previous generation. Yeah. Speaking, yeah. speaking of which, incredible. The listeners, I'm sorry. My cat will not shut up. She has very many points. 
about this film. She does. You'll hear her in the background. Definitely does. I uh, think I think what's exciting about what you've just described to me, and I think what the film opens up to me as well, is the is that this is a world where uh, I I've never been entirely enamored with with couture, for example. I've just been in, you know, I, I love structured men's fashion. But this has opened me up to like the world of couture and and how it can actually operate and the personalities behind it and how how the actual work is a reflection of the artists themselves mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited by the, the things you're listening. It makes me want to read more. Oh, you do it. You won't. <laughs> Great. Uh, anything else, uh, Jamie, to close us out? Have We're- you got any other films that you want yeah, to mention? Yeah, well, so um, Coco Before Chanel uh, yeah. was a, a, yeah, it was pretty- Audrey pretty Tateau well, was in yes, that? Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. And there was another Coco Chanel movie right before that with Shirley MacLaine as the yeah. lead. I heard that was good. I didn't see it. Yeah. Um, I was talking to a, a coworker of mine uh, when I was talking about going on to this podcast with you and we were saying there aren't really many fashion movies at all that <laughs> that use fashion the way this movie does. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a backdrop, it's a very but strong But it's effective one. and it works. It works yeah. thematically with what they're doing yeah. and, and not thematically with the style the film is created in. Yes. Could I could I give you some recommendations? I would love that. So the movie that I absolutely adore, um, uh, from a fashion point of view, but also from a design structure point of view, is the Cook, the Thief, His Wife, and a Lover, a Peter Greenaway film that Jean Paul Gaultier designed the entire film for, and he Ooh. designed the outfits to match the sets. So the the designs actually don't make logical sense. Like for example, a character will be wearing all red when the set is lit red. They'll walk into the bathroom and suddenly the bathroom will be white. Oh, cool! And they'll be wearing all white. Their costumes will have changed entirely. Oh, what, uh, can you repeat the name of that? Uh, the Cook, the Thief, His Wife, and a Lover. All right, cool. Uh, Peter Greenaway film. Absolutely astounding film. We're going to watch Fuck, it. Fuck, marry, kill, <laughs> me. Uh, it, oh, well, you're in for a treat if that's... Uh, All right. Uh, the other one is Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Yes. Iko uh, Ishuka, Ish, Ish, Ishioka. She's, she's a favorite of mine. Uh, if you, you like the fall? I did. Oh. She designed that oh. as well. Oh. If you liked Star Wars The Last Jedi, you need to watch Bram Stoker's Dracula to see inspiration for the costumes in that. Um, obviously, The Fifth Element, people would have already seen. Sure. Uh, who was the designer on that? It was a. Uh, oh, God, I don't know. Someone famous. Um, sure is. And uh, Eight and a Half uh, is, if you love right. men's fashion, yes. uh, Marcello Mastroianni in that film is incredible. So there's this also, is, uh, there's a movie about Bo Brummel, who's sort of the creator of dandyism and, and thusly, ultimately, ah. the, the modern suit that was supposed to be pretty good. The, uh, it's the actor who played uh, Mark Anthony in Rome, and he was the oh, yeah. Resident Evil, and I'm not good at names. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> I don't right. know that one. I but, heard that was good. I think it was an HBO movie. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. All right. Matt. Anyway... <laughs> This has been a supersized episode of the only podcast about movies, specifically the review of The Phantom Thread. Jamie. Hey. Thank you so much for bringing uh, your knowledge and expertise and 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 stellar uh, analysis of this film to our shores. Oh, it was so much fun. Thanks for having me. You're well. If, if, if people want to find you, uh, where could they do it on the World Wide Web? Uh, well, you could check out, I guess, my Instagram, sure. uh, which is jimjam underscore Walsh. Uh, you can also check out my website. It's not very good. Uh, uh, that's uh, jlwalsh.com. Uh, and I don't like Twitter, so I don't use it. Whoa. <laughs> Shahir. <laughs> what do you think Reynolds Woodcock's Instagram would be like? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would be one photo a year, and it would be 
I, I would hope it's just a picture of socks. Yeah, I would it's just, just, I would just hope like a pair of socks. Socks, socks, socks every ascot. day. Every once in a while, a sticky bun. <laughs> when, Shahir, when you're not debating fictional characters' Twitter feeds or Instagrams, Instagram. where can folks find you? You can find my fictional Instagram and Twitter feed on my website, www.shahirdowd.com, where I pretend to wear high fashion, but I'm actually just in slacks and pajamas most of the time. You need to dress like your kid, man. I, you know what I want to do? I want to direct in suits, which is something a few directors do, but it seems like it's really uncomfortable. It seems like it would be painful, uncomfortable, sure. and sweaty. Although I like, I like wearing a suit. I'll I, wear a I suit love wearing suit. Ten hours you know, a day. They, it's, it's right. It, it's a uh, the, the theory of dressing while flying is a good one because then when you get to wherever you are, you don't feel like a pilot. Yeah. You don't feel like a schlub. Like, all right, yeah. straighten out the jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Shahir, you just recently uh, spoke at a panel. I did speak at a panel. I spoke at a panel for the uh, Screen Actors Guild After Foundation, uh, and we were talking basically about the process of shooting a film. Which I should have talked about what you should wear because the most important thing when you're shooting a film is wear comfortable shoes. Yeah. Um, but you can find that talk. Uh, I'm on a panel with a bunch of great panelists uh, at the SAG After Foundation's YouTube channel. Uh, and once we have a link of that, I'm sure we'll post it up amongst our Twitter. And yes. Everything. Matt, how about yourself? Well, you can find me at Emperor MSK on Twitter. I do use the Twitter machine. Also, my Instagram, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z, uh, on there for some fun photos. And you can find all my life and works at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com. For my professional stuff, you can also reach out to us at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com. What did you think of Phantom Thread? Uh, which side of these discussions would you fall on? We'd love to hear uh, your thoughts. Also, you can tweet at us at OnlyMoviePod. Same deal. Let us know what's up. And please, please. Send us some sweet, sweet internet stars and review us on iTunes. Give us what say, you think. I thought you were going to say send us some money. Send, like, please, please, send us money. Yeah. No, don't send yeah. us money. <laughs> um, oh, one last thing I'd like to plug. I've been working with um, James Portnow of Extra Credits and the Extra Credits uh, Twitch channel. You can search just Extra Credits on Twitch and search all their stuff on YouTube. Their gaming analysis and videos is amazing. Uh, we've been doing a couple things. We, James and I have been talking about some media from time to time. We, we just talked about actually the uh, Shahir, you will be happy you weren't part of this discussion. The Overwatch animated short. We broke down the cultural relevance of it, but also uh, we do a thing called Friendship Watch, which are basically playing Overwatch with a nice group of people and trying to take the toxicity out of the community. Uh, and it's very lovely. If you want some highbrow gaming content, please check out Extra Credits on Twitch. This about wraps it up. Um, thank you, Jamie, once again for for phantoming your us. way. Thank you for having me on. This All was through. a lovely time. Good. I am glad. <laughs> and uh, with that, we will see. Oh, my God. Is the next one? Is the next one the year in review of the reviews of the year? Uh, Guys, it's almost February. It's almost Try February. Just get that are, out. Hey, Listen, with you're on own. one podcast <laughs> and you're telling us our schedule? <laughs> We're, we're I'm the, very uh, arrogant because I'm a designer. Not, oh, <laughs> I crinkle, crinkle, all the papers were thrown. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see if that's true what I said, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.